This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. This is a real thrill. I don't think there's a guest alive that I enjoy talking with more than Pat Buchanan. Not only does he, is he someone that I agree with the overwhelming majority of the time. In fact, I've so often come to think of him as my own intellectual godfather. Not only is he the godfather, the forefather of a lot of the political movements that have taken shape today. A lot of people say he was the combination of Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump before there was a Tucker Carlson or a Donald Trump, at least on the political scene. He is a best-selling author, senior advisor to three presidents, three-time presidential candidate himself, and a widely read syndicated columnist. It is my great pleasure to welcome back Pat Buchanan. Mr. Buchanan, sir, it is a great pleasure to talk with you again. Well, good to talk with you, Frank, and thanks for that uh, lengthy introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, I, I could go on and on. Um, I very much enjoyed your column on Friday in which you talk about uh, General Milley, uh, General Milley's war, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and you're talking about Ukraine. Uh, he was warning recently that this could be a war that lasts for years. Tell me why that is not a protracted conflict that the United States is really prepared to wage. Well, let me say this. That given what has happened to Ukraine in the first seven weeks of this war, consider it. They've got 10% of their population has fled the country. 25% and all has been uprooted. They've lost thousands of troops and civilians. And they've got numbers of people, hundreds certainly, who have been massacred and murdered. They can't go through this again and again in the next seven weeks and the next seven weeks. So I disagree with General Milley about a protracted war. I think it's going to be shorter than that because I don't think the because the result of a long war, frankly, there would be nothing left of the Ukrainian nation if these two armies fought a long and protracted war, Frank. Mm, I, I would uh, certainly uh, certainly agree. General Milley also said that we should be building more military bases in Eastern Europe and begin to rotate U.S. troops in and out of Eastern Europe. A lot of people think that sounds great. The Ukrainians are struggling. If we have uh, a lot of U.S. troops in places like Poland, that'll scare Putin and Putin's army into uh, not being overly aggressive. Why is that a faulty premise? Well, I think the, the deterrent to Putin, if there is one, and I believe there is, is the fact that Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, the border states of Ukraine, are all members of the NATO alliance. And they're under Article 5, which requires us basically to go to war for them if they are attacked. Russia does not want a war with the United States of America. But the United States has got to ask itself whether it really wants to go with war with Russia if it moved across the line, for example, into Romania. I mean, does that justify a war in which the very survival of our country could depend? we got to think through all these commitments we've got to go to war on behalf of nations that are not inherently vital interests of the United States. 
You wrote a book uh, some years ago uh, in which you referred, you take took the old Churchill quote about World War II and called it uh, World War II, The Unnecessary War. It's a wonderful book, Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War. I can't listen on the radio or on television to coverage about the Ukraine situation today without hearing someone refer to Vladimir Putin as Hitler. Do you think that's a faulty premise? And if so, what? I do. I think I think Putin, there's no doubt that he started this war, he ignited the war. But the table was set by the United States. What did we do after we won the Cold War with Russia? And Russia basically gave up the Warsaw Pact. The whole Soviet Union broke apart into 15 nations, and it sought a relationship with the United States. We moved our alliance into Central Europe, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary. Then we moved it into Eastern Europe, into the Baltic states, Romania, Bulgaria. We added 14 new member states to NATO, and we were seeking to bring Ukraine into NATO. Ukraine, an integral part of the Russian of the Russian uh, Federation, and an integral part of the Soviet Union, into our alliance, which is directed against them. I think Putin, frankly, saw us pushing forward, pushing, pushing, pushing. And he said, I've got to stop him. So he ignited this war. So I think we've got to take a look at the kind of commitments we're making ourselves, which are imperiling the vital national security of the United States for causes that are not related to our vital national interests. Mm. Who rules in Kiev or who rules in Donetsk or who rules in Odessa? is not a vital interest of the United States to justify any kind of war for the nuclear power of the magnitude of the Soviet Union or of Russia. Uh, talking with Pat Buchanan, you can uh, check out his column regularly. Uh, I read it, and you, you could subscribe to it uh, by uh, going to his website. It is a uh, terrific column, always on the money, and it has a way of uh, putting a very, very complicated geopolitical issues in a manner that uh, even simpletons like me can understand. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a little amazed that not only is President Biden not talking directly to Vladimir Putin, as far as we know, uh, but Tony Blinken, the American Secretary of State, is not talking to his counterpart. What is your prediction as to how this ends? And what is the best case scenario for the United States? There's been a lot of talk about what's best for Ukraine, what's best for Russia, what's best for NATO. What is the best scenario at the end of this for the United States? Well, the best scenario for the end of this for the United States is, I think, as I wrote uh, in my column on Friday, basically the end of this war in Ukraine. The Russians are not benefited from it. They've taken enormous beatings in the court of world opinion, as well as military beatings. They failed in the initial objectives of their invasion. And certainly the Ukraine is not benefiting from this. When you got 25% of their country's been uprooted, and you've got thousands and thousands of dead and wounded. So I think the best result for the United States would be a negotiated end to this war, which brings us to the problem with Biden. I mean, instead of being a broker of some kind, as the French have tried to be and the Americans could be more effectively, Biden has gone to name-calling in the extreme, calling Putin a killer, a butcher, murderous tyrant, 
and also a war criminal who's going to be put on trial and who mm. doesn't deserve to rule in Russia. All he has done by doing this is close the door to any kind of communication with the one person who can end this war sooner than anyone else, and that, like it or not, is Vladimir Putin. He launched the war. I think Zelensky clearly wants an end to it and to negotiate on the basis of the status quo. And so I think if, I think that, that Biden has made himself an impediment to being a, a real assist in ending this. We just we just gave the Ukrainians about another hundred million dollars in military aid. A lot of people view this as vital assistance that could help a lot, keep a lot of Ukrainians alive. In your view, was this the right move? Well, we gave them. What are we giving them? We're giving them military uh, equipment. I understand the giving them these uh, these shoulder fired weapons, the javelins to knock out tanks. But by giving them the weapons, we are giving them the ability to kill more Russians. And I think the Russians are not going to quit. So I'm not sure how much we're really aiding Ukraine if we're giving them the weapons to fight a, you know, a General Milley's protracted war of years. I mean, if you fight for years in Ukraine, what's going to be left to the country and its people mm-hmm. when it's over? So I'm not sure that that is as helpful as it would be for the United States to try to find some deal whereby you could get some sort of modus vivendi, whereby you could get a truce or something like that. I think Zelensky wants that. I think Putin wants it, but he doesn't want it now because he hasn't, he hasn't in effect, gotten enough gains to declare that his war was worth it to his own people. Mm. Uh, before I let you go, sir, I have to ask you about two auspicious things that happened uh, that you were an eyewitness to and a participant in on this day. Uh, on this day in 1970, Apollo 13 blasted off on a mission to the moon that was disrupted when an explosion crippled the spacecraft. A lot of us have seen the movie with Tom Hanks and uh, Gary Sinise. You were there. You had a ringside seat. Uh, what was President Nixon's reaction like when it looked like something was going to go wrong? Well, it looked like something did go wrong on Apollo 13. What was the reaction like here on Earth? Well, the reaction was, you know, there was shock and concern and fear that possibly these guys might not come back. But it was in day, I mean, it was a while before it was revealed that we could pretty much take the ship and send it around the moon and try to bring it back home the way we normally did with the guys never getting on the moon. And so I think it was just, it was really a glorious success when those guys came home okay back in July of 1969 when the men walked on the moon. Let me tell you, the night they walked on the moon, Richard Nixon called me after he called the astronauts. I was one of the guys on his call list. And he not only mentioned the moonwalk, he asked me what I thought about this incident at Chappaquiddick, (laughs) which had just occurred. Uh, that is a wild. And now talking about being an eyewitness to history, you have written volumes and there's uh, two wonderful books that you did about your time in the Nixon administration uh, that people should uh, definitely uh, come, uh, definitely check out. Uh, one is The Greatest Comeback. One is Nixon's White House Wars. You've written a great deal about the Watergate situation. Uh, and this day today in 1974, the Judiciary Committee subpoenaed President Nixon to produce the tapes for the impeachment inquiry. 
January. Now, a lot of people have drawn parallels between the congressional January 6th committee and uh, what, what President Nixon went through. A lot of people are drawing comparisons between the uh, seven and a half hour gap in phone calls with President Trump and uh, pre- the mixing, miss, missing 18 and a half minutes of the uh, of the Watergate tapes. Do you think that's an apt comparison at all? Well, initially, it looked like something, you know, the the Trump folks had basically doctored the documents they sent up. But now it looks like that what Trump did simply when he called from the mansion, the White House main building, those are recorded. But when he goes over to the Oval Office, they're not recorded as a general practice. And that he used somebody else's phone or used a phone there or used a cell phone. And it doesn't look to me like there's anything nefarious there. I think the Post overdid its story. Mm. You know, it made it look like they erased all the calls for six hours or so. But I don't think that in the end analysis, there's going to be anything to that. Uh, finally, sir, like Sunday. 18 and a half minutes, which was something that went on and on and on. Uh, finally, uh, Sunday is Easter. What did you end up giving up for Lent? What do you and Shelley have planned for Easter Sunday? Well, you know, I'm pretty much sheltering in place still here, Frank. So we're not <laughs> headed out on Easter Sunday, uh, except maybe to go to church. So, uh, but that's pretty much it. You know, we haven't gotten out or around or about very much in these two years because of, uh, you know, various conditions and stuff where you... Sure. You wouldn't be very good if you caught the COVID. Uh, well, it's great to talk with you, and uh, I'll look forward to our next interaction in person. I appreciate you taking the time, sir. Okay, my friend, you take it easy. Good luck with that midnight show. Thank you, sir. If you want to comment any portion of my discussion with the great Pat Buchanan, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.